Welcome back to Rap Beer. It is episode six. I'm Scott Davis. John Kretschmer, and guess what, Scott? This completes act one, six episodes of Rap Beer in the can. Congratulations, everybody. Congratulations. Yeah. Some great stories, some great education, and histories preserved. So who's who's uh, bringing home the end of uh, act one? Chuck Potter is a steam set decorator, a dear friend, a self-proclaimed hayseed from Mississippi, who came through Wilmington on his way to New York and in a very esteemed career, and guess what? He came back. Nice, nice. I, I, I've worked with Chuck on one show that I know for sure, but I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing him talk. He makes a mean pot of gumbo, <laughs> and guess what? What? Chuck, we still need more bubbles. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. More bubbles. Let's see. Let's see where we are now. Check everyone. Sound again? Yeah. I, I don't know what show it was, but they sent me a car, right? And you're right. The cars will show up 30 minutes early. This guy decides to show up, you know, like an hour early, two hours early. I'm over there on Fitzgerald Drive. He shows up in a white stretch limousine <laughs> <laughs> and parks it on the side of the road two hours before my pickup. <laughs> Like it's like pretty woman, you know. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I went out and knocked on the door. Said, "Dude, you just gotta go somewhere else. <laughs> Either show up in a black car or something, but can, go get a hot dog. Yeah. Go watch a movie. <laughs> a white limousine, a white stretch limousine to pick me up. At what time in the morning was it? Morning? It's just the middle of the day. No, oh, he's like, day. all day long. He's oh. sitting there, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, pretty woman. <laughs> da, 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 That's too. That's too good. High school prom. <laughs> Chuck Potter, welcome to Rat Beer. Thank Chuck you very much. Potter. Thanks for having me. And uh, Chuck and I go way back. Um, you came in town. I guess it's the Crow. The Crow. Yep, I did come on the Crow. I'd come the year before on Simple Justice with Kip in '92, wow. and then I came back. And on the crow, uh, and you were the lead man. So and Martha was the decorator. Where were you born, and how did you get in the movie business? I was born in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I got in the movie business through my sister. Uh, I was I have a uh, degree in petroleum geology. Oh well, that <laughs> translates perfectly yeah, to the movie putting business. Educational dollars to work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was in South Louisiana, and I was about to go to graduate school at the University of Texas in Austin. Actually, I was in Texas at the time, and I answered an ad to go to Maine as a camp counselor at a boys' camp. Oh. And I was like, I've never been to Maine. In Maine, okay. In Maine. And on the way back to Texas from Maine, I stopped in Nashville, Tennessee, and my sister uh, was a wardrobe stylist. She did... uh, Alabama, and she did Dolly Parton, and oh, she wow. did a lot of the acts in the 80s, so in 80, that was 87, August of 87, and she said, well, you looking to get back to Texas really quick, or would you like to, you want to work next week? And I was like, sure, I'll work, and uh, I ironed clothes for her, and did returns, and did pickups, and, and then I met a guy named uh, Fred Schwabel who uh, later went on to marry Johnny K. 
Cash's youngest daughter, Tara, and I hooked up with him, and he was in the art department. So, in, in Nashville, Tennessee. In Nashville, Tennessee. And so in those days, we did country music videos and commercials, and um, the uh, we did everything. You know, I mean, you guys probably come from that world as well. Or, you know, there was no dressers, decorators, right. it art was directors. Small group doing it all we were two of us usually speak for yourself i started on a 15 million dollar feature film in this very building oh, that's a, no music videos for me pal yeah. yeah so we all we did it all we you know we drove the truck we shopped we picked it up we wrapped we cleaned up the stage we did everything it's funny I, i've done a couple of music videos and you're right e- e- even big names a lot of money it's still you know, a very small group of people, and everyone is just overlapping just to get the job done. Yeah, it was a great way to start because yeah. I got to learn everything. And uh, the art department was, uh, the, the, in my opinion, the most fun. Uh, I didn't do wardrobe very long. so And then uh, I kind of took off from there. I came here in 92 on Simple Justice. Uh, I badgered Kit Bartlett to death until he gave me a job. So what what actually got you to Wilmington as far as was it somebody said you should go to Wilmington? The um, There was rumors in Nashville. Nashville was going through a situation in the uh, late 80s where they were dying for work. There was a great crew base. It was very similar yeah. to Wilmington, a real tight, really strong crew base, but no jobs were coming. You know, and we went through the whole hire a film person through the state and go out and try to get work to come to Nashville, and nothing was happening, nothing was happening, nothing was happening. Everybody was belly aching, and then uh, all of a sudden the rumors started going around. Well, all the work's going to Wilmington, North Carolina. Heck yeah! Nobody at that point I had never heard of Wilmington, North Carolina. You so. know, you know, my first movie was Marie: A True Story which took place in Nashville mm-hmm. and I I was a set dresser on the ground here for a couple of weeks and we went on location to Nashville and uh and did that so we took the Wilmington crowd and I do know um the the crews there were, were great Gina yeah. Ball Gina Ball with, was there yeah and um, some other folks and that was a that was a big experience for me within a month of being in the business I'm on location right and uh, yeah and I didn't end up here on it, but uh, and before I came here in 92, I did um, Love Field that came oh. through um, Tennessee, came through Nashville. And we did all the bus work because um, in the script, she gets on the bus in Dallas and she's right. trying to get back to D.C. So they're going through the mountains and we did all that work. And then, you know, a lot of people from here ended up or – I know Larry Sauls ended up on it in Wilson, North Carolina. Right. And then uh, Chris Crowder. Was he and, on it? Yeah, who runs Cinespace Wilmington right now. That's right. from Wilson, and that was his that, first movie. That was his first movie, and he just yeah. uh, he heard that they needed some carpenters or something like that. He told yeah. me something like his paycheck. You know, we got to get Chris on the show. He said, like, his, his paycheck didn't cash on a Friday. Right. And he was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And on Monday, you know, he saw him hiring carpenters for Love Hill. Yeah. You know, and— you had a great time here. You went to New York early on in your career. I did. I did. I came in 92 to do Simple Justice, and then I did three in a row on 93. I did The Crow, and then I did The Inkwell, and then I did Radio Land Murders. Mm. And uh, I met um, Lester Cohen, designer from New York, right on The Inkwell. And he was going, you got to come to New York. You got to come to New York. You got to come to New York. And 
at the time my uh, my wife was building an actor acting career she was still in nashville she wanted to go to a bigger market she said let's go to la and i'm like i, I can't go to la <laughs> i'm not interested in going to los angeles she goes well you go to new york and i said yeah i'll go to new york so she moved up in october of 93 and then i finished radio land murders and moved up in december oh, and wow. lester cohen gave me a job in the January of 94 wow. on as an art department coordinator because I was not in the union. So it's the only job he could give me. And I worked on a Nick Gomez film called New Jersey Drive in January of 94. And I met some people in Local 52. I took the test. They stood up for me, and I got in nice. at the end of that year. Nice. So, oh, I ended up in New York. I always so. was very impressed with that. You know, they went there and, and this guy, you know, you take your tool bag onto yeah. the subway to get to work. Yeah. Right? Still do. Yeah, still do. <laughs> <laughs> still do. What What is the, the script that you were handed that excited you the most when you read it about its possibility the, and opportunity? The inkwell. Really? Oh, Shot wow. here. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was all set in 1976, I think, which the kid was 14, 15 years old. I was 14. I was 15 in 1976. Oh, yeah. So I was I was 16. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was all period. It was uh, it was a great script. It was about um, a young African-American boy that was was having troubles at home and his parents didn't understand him. And he was a little bit weird and off and you know he was doing crazy things and he set the house on fire and they didn't know what to do with him and they said well let's let's go to the beach uh uh and get him out of town and let's see if we can clear his head in the summer so they went to what's called the inkwell which was in uh off martha's vineyard and they called it the inkwell because it was the african-american beach and they thought Years ago, right, that right, right, right. they got in the water. It was going to turn black into an inkwell. It was crazy. But that was the name of the beach. So he goes to this beach. He has uh, this. He has three different experiences as a young boy, as a teenage boy. He has his. Uh, he has his first crush on a woman who's um, married, young woman in her early twenties who's married. Uh, married to a very rich guy she's hanging out and he fall, kind of falls in love with her she doesn't really have anything to do with him she kind of teases him a little bit then he has uh, he meets a young girl who is the same age and he's not really interested in her he's more interested in the older woman with all the money but she kind of falls in love with him and then his parents force him to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist on the beach so there's an elderly woman that's more of a mother figure. So he's got the crazy infatuation. He's got the young girl, love, and, and then he's got the uh, older woman. And um, he, in, in reality, in the script, he's just the vehicle. The story is about those three women. And he's just a vehicle that gets you from each to gotcha. each story. So. You know, that's interesting. You're not the first one. You know, with all with all of your credits, with the work you've done around the world, you know, I always find it interesting. It's those, those early projects that have right. such kind of influence on you. 
Yeah, and I was an on-set dresser. I was not guide. I was not decorating. I was not involved in a major way in the look of the film or anything like that. But you were definitely involved in the watching it get put together and being involved in every scene and watching the performances and just it becoming a part of you. I yeah. Because as a best boy, I'm on the exact opposite. I'll 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 work a whole film and then I'll go to see it and I'll go, oh, that's what it was about. Because I mean, I'm I you know, my bosses used to say, if I see you on set, that means something's wrong. Right. You know, <laughs> I, you know, if if you're not here, I know you're taking care of stuff. So a lot of movies, I you know, it's funny. I was looking at the choice, which we'll get to, but I was looking back at the choice and looked in the trailer and and realized, yeah, I never was on any of those sets when they were rolling cameras. Yeah, your job is <laughs> the best boy is tomorrow. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's always about tomorrow. Your, it's your always, job's tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's right. So, as a as an art director, my job is it's next, next month. month. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. right. That's right. So that so to have one of those roles uh, uh, as a technician that we were actually watching the shooting happening all the time, especially being the on set dresser. I always tell my on set dressers, your job is not to call me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fix it. Yeah, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> Just <No>. fix it. <laughs> your job not to call me. <laughs> so, what was your first decorating job? My first decorating job was with you. Oh my goodness! Yeah, uh, sex and the sex other man. The other man in New York. I'll be darned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's my first titled sex decorating job. Sure. For years, we did it in music videos. That's what I did for sure. you know six years before i begun the union and became you know a decorator so. and, and that was my first design job yeah. oh okay in we new were, york city we were newbies we used your wow. truck i drove my uh white f-150 with an aluminum cap on the back mm-hmm. and we worked on like these kind of pseudo porn stages on 42nd street and every day i'd hand the keys over to chuck and he'd take my pickup truck all over new york city Shopping. Shopping. Shopping yeah, for stuff. I, wow. I was it. I don't even know if I had an assistant on that. I think I was just It was me. me. Yeah. It was I was you. <laughs> in, in those little movies, you design them, and then you become the lead man. Right. You know? Right, right, right. But I remember on that job we went, don't know, John, you remember, I, uh, you wanted a round bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? Get a round bed. <laughs> a round bed. So I got on the phone, and I actually found a round bed in a place in the Poconos called Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge, which had been there since the probably 20s. And I went out to Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. I go into the, uh, the lobby. There's this sweeping staircase that goes up the up and all along the wall there's pictures of all the comedians and entertainers that had performed there it was a who's who of everyone rodney dangerfield shecky green frank sinatra had performed there nat king cole had performed there i mean it was just this crazy place that had been there for a long time and they had a round bed uh they had a pink toilet which I got. I think yeah. I got a pink bathtub, a pink toilet, a pink sink. And I, I'm sorry. Was this still open or had this closed? It was still open. It was. Okay. Yeah. And then they had a, uh, a jacuzzi shaped like a martini glass, oh, which I think we ended up getting. And no, no, We no. didn't do it. I can't remember. But I remember. Our, our, our uh, honeymoon suite was not so fancy right. that we were depicting. But, uh, I remember. And, and that. 
the bed was a king size round. It was a good like seven feet in diameter, and you put that thing on top of my truck. I was just going to ask that. Did you use did. his truck? I did. <laughs> looked, like, looked like a giant radar dish on top. It's like Beverly Hillbillies or Sanford and Son. We we know I got to return the bed at the uh, end of the show, and um and we did it. I think the set was I call it. It was a honeymoon suite in a truck stop motel. That was the set. Right. And, and, our, and our exterior was a truck stop in New Jersey. In New Jersey. Yeah. And so at the end of all, and, and so we had like a textured stucco, you know, where you put the trowel on the wall and you just pull it out so you get that kind of relief and you throw glitter on it and, you know, tobacco stain. And um, and we did it right. We had a, it was really a, a successful set, I thought. And, uh, but at the end of the game, I get to return the bed to the Poconos. Chuck's long gone, I think. So I strap their bed and go there, and I go out to, what is it, the beautiful Mount Airy? Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. All you have to bring is your love of everything, the beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. So I walk in and it's off season and you can smell the cigar smoke, you know, it's it smelled like Richard Nixon's campaign headquarters, right, you know, right. kind of, and, um, I walk past the, uh, the, the club and on the dance floor, there's a newlywed couple there being taught the electric slide by like this guy with an af white dude with an afro. <laughs> I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna teach you. And, and there's the only place in this whole thing. It's like The Shining. <laughs> it is. And yeah. sure enough, sure enough, their stucco, my stucco, stuck out well about an inch. Their stucco trout out about two and a half inches <laughs> it's all true when i got to new york nobody knew who i was i got in the union i got in the union on that job and as the, did i you yeah. know and then um, at that point, I became a set dresser again because nobody knew me from Adam. So I kind of started my career over, in a way, in New York, in the union as a dresser. And I eh, did probably two, two to three jobs, and then I started getting hired as a buyer. Right. And as a buyer, I went and that, many years. I kind of remember we sort of had Beth Rubino in Beth our Rubino. pocket, Gretchen Rao. Um, yeah, Beth Rubino gave me my first job as a buyer in New York on Sleepers. It's about a kid who it's about kids who basically um, were just kids growing up in Hell's Kitchen, and they pull a prank on the hot dog guy, and he's chasing them in the cart, and he it, something horrible happens, and he falls down the steps, and the cart comes down at, behind him and kills him. So they all end up in reform school. And you cut oh, to, wow. I did cut, not see that. I read, cut to years I read later. the book. I read the book, and that's uh, a hardcore book. Yeah. Uh, Barry Levinson, that was the director. Uh, and then uh, they cut to years later. They, they're abused by Kevin Bacon in the, in, the pris, in, the chi, in the kids' prison. They come all come out of school and have different 
prison and come have different careers, and uh, Brad Pitt becomes a DA. And then uh, one of the other guys ends up running into Kevin Bacon in a bar in Manhattan and shoots him point blank, shoots him dead with 10 witnesses and whatnot. And then the DA, Brad Pitt, gets him off because yep. he deserved it. Yeah. So. <laughs> good old Barry Levinson. Yeah. <laughs> and, and good old Chuck Potter, uh, kid from Mississippi who's, uh, yeah. you know, is yeah. taking taking charge in New York City. Well, uh, not that amazing. Not, but yet I'm not surprised one bit. I mean, uh, well, that that no, kind. I'm just saying from the standpoint of people leave this town and do great things. Uh, a, a lot of times they really do. I just think this is just such yeah. a great birthing town as far as talent goes. You and know? It's, yeah, and I kept coming back. You know, I couldn't, well, that, I couldn't, that's I couldn't stop coming back. That's yeah. natural. I mean, so. you know, I, I think back to a lot of the early producers that came during the Dino days and just about every one of them that I worked for came back one, two, three times years later and it was because they wanted to be amongst these people and this talent pool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I like working with Chuck, and I often, you know, reach out to try to hire him along the way. And there's, I got two Chucks. There's one I couldn't afford him, and number two I couldn't get him out of New York quick enough. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know which one was going to answer the phone. <laughs> now it's both. <laughs> That's right, because you're back here in Wilmington. You have a home here in Wilmington, raising your family. Yeah, actually, uh, my daughter's sophomore, about to be a junior at NC State. So wow, we spent the yeah her whole life growing up here. Yeah, so now I'm starting to go back to New York a little bit. I've always turned those jobs down to stay home, and um, it's kind of good to go back and trying to figure out how to finish it. You know, right, I'm four I was, or five years. From I was so fortunate. Homeland landed exactly when my my first day of college for my oldest daughter and it ended on the last day of college for my youngest <laughs> daughter it was a 10-year span paid for school you know awesome perfectly that's awesome. incredible yeah. i was very fortunate in that yeah so but uh always drawn back here uh would come back uh any chance i could get uh tantar used to call me all the time and say i need some help mo come on down i need some help so i'd come down and help Tantar for a few weeks, and when I was in between gigs in New York, and you know, when I was a young designer too, I'd get gigs in New York, the, the kind where I'd have to ride the train up to interview, <laughs> and if I got the job, I'd ride the train right back <laughs> and load up my truck or whatever. And many times I'd sleep on Chuck's couch. Yeah, uh-huh. that's true. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Did it did it turn into jobs for you that? Uh, when you he when you let him sleep on your couch, did he say, "Hey, oh, no"? <laughs> oh, and, and I'll tell you why he couldn't afford me. <laughs> Which he's already. Oh said. no, you got to think about it. He's in fifty-two. Yeah, and they're doing these major um, features on the streets of New York, well, and sure. I'm up there mm-hmm. scrapping for the little itty bitty things. Yep. I got yep. nothing. No, I get you. Tantar always had the fa- fabulous film chicken, or he called it something like that. <laughs> that Ver- Vernon, Vernon knows it very well. Vernon says it very well. Uh, yeah, and the chicken Tantar always encouraged us 
to get the uh, film chicken into discreetly get the film chicken to whatever film we were working yes on. yes planting it, could, it somewhere you know, on a yes. bookshelf i or, actually do remember some or of this in now. a pile of laundry or you know in a tackle box a fishing tackle box or something and sort was, of the original elf on a shelf actually i think yeah, <laughs> a little bit. but he always had the rubber chicken and we were always get very creative and try to figure out how we're going to get the rubber chicken into whatever whatever shot we're doing so we're on the stage, I think we're on stage four, and uh, we were doing the, uh, the Margaret Mitchell story. And um, we had uh, built a train car, construction had built a train car, we had gotten some parts or seats and they built a car around it. And in the old days, um, you didn't, you put the train car on inner tubes. Yeah. Uh, car inner tubes yeah. and the grips would go with a pipe on either side and they'd rock the car right. so it would look like the car was moving down the track and then they would dolly move they'd go opposite on the dolly move to look like the car was taking off from the train from the station so we got um the Doughboys are going off to war it's 1918 1916 something like that so i got all these kids baby face kids all dressed in doughboy uh, outfits. They're going off to war. The scene is, is you know, they're pulling out of the station and they're all waving goodbye. So I went, this is perfect for the rubber chicken. <laughs> so, so I run to the truck and I get the rubber chicken and I find this kid in one of the windows and I come up to him and I said, okay, do me a favor. This is what I want you to do. I said, take the rubber chicken in your left hand and just barely have its head peeking over the corner of the window, the edge of the window of the train car, <laughs> and just hold it. So it just barely, and I would show him where to hold it, and I said, hold it right there and don't move it. Don't pick it up. That's right. Don't, just leave it right there. And he's like, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. So <laughs> we all pulled back, sound speed, sound rolling, you know, camera action, and the car starts rocking, the steam comes up, the dolly starts to move back, and I'm watching the monitor, and the kid has moved the rubber chicken to his right hand oh, no. and is holding it out the window of the train car, <laughs> just waving it, just like, woo! the rubber chicken and all of a sudden I hear the director go cut what the fuck is that chicken doing <laughs> and at that moment I kind of like went out the back door oh, and said, yeah. I gotta get something off the truck yeah. I'll be right back uh, and I was out the back door oh my god yeah that was Tantar and the chicken what's another show you worked on with Tantar uh, Radio Land Murders, same. Uh, well, no, this was before. Uh, Radio Land Murders was a great show, and I don't know, it was a George Lucas show. It was actually, I think, in the very beginning of uh, remotes on cameras, and Lucas was able to see the camera position from Skywalker Ranch when oh. we were shooting here in Wilmington. Right. Was that the show that it was basically on all the time, and so yes. you, you know you could see what you, you could see a, a room yes. whether anybody was sitting there or not. Yes, I remember that. And he would sit, and he would often come by and look, and he would watch for a little bit, and he would give his input. 
And I think that was the very first time that ever was done remotely. Possibly, like that. Yeah. yeah, that would have been '93 when we shot. Doesn't surprise but me. Tantar was the prop master on that, <clears throat> and we had all of this great old uh, radio gear. And it was the show itself is a show about a radio program. Oh no, it's it's beautiful as far as like you said the authenticity of all the equipment. Right. I mean, it really had a great period feel about it. And then I actually went. Tantor sent me to New York uh, to get the hand props that we needed uh, for the for the radio show, and it was the uh, rain uh, the rain stick and right. the horse clompers. And the drums and so the sound effects. The, the sound effects. Sound effects yeah. So you yeah. went up to New York to get actual ones from a radio station? Or? I got them from a company called Carol Music, which I think is still in business. And Mr. Carol had done the original sound effects for NBC. And he had all of the, the original stuff oh. down in the basement. And uh, I, was, I spent two days in the basement pulling stuff out. And it was all covered in dust and in and boxes. he was like whatever you want yeah because he thought well we get to see it again and right and right. he was dead at that point his kids ran oh the company. okay okay but they were like yeah i know dad would love it if this made it in a movie and everybody saw how the, this worked you know so. and and anyone knows tantar and we certainly know all the stories of tantar but if there's one thing his props were spot on they were i mean he was, yeah. he was he was uh, he'd dive in front of the truck for him he's he's uh, genius to have the right thing in front of the camera yeah. genius but the funniest story with the props on that was uh, Vernon, Harold, and I. And we had a, a director, and his name was Mel Smith. Apparently he was – I didn't know him at the time, but he was um, – uh, he had some renown as a English comedian. He was kind of in the Benny Hill world. He came up at the same time as Benny Hill. And, okay. Uh, very uh, robust Englishman, loved to smoke cigars. I was – Part of our job was providing him cigars oh, all wow. day long in oh, the wow. prop department. And um, we were doing a scene. We were on the stage, I think in four again. We'd built a stage. And the, uh, in the radio programs, they would it was like a vaudeville act. You know, right. you'd, you'd have a show. You'd have singers. You'd have somebody, you know, uh, performing. And then they'd do advertisement. Uh, in this particular advertisement, they had a young lady come across, and she was in a uh, – it was an advertisement for detergent, laundry detergent. And she was in a, um, a box. So she's dancing across, and she's in her box, and she's – you know, it's over her, and she's singing the jingle, and it's something about, you know, with the bubbles and the thing, and the bubbles is what it is. And at that time, we had rigged a bubble machine around her waist. <laughs> so we turned it on, and at the end, she goes, dun, 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 and puts her hands up, and all these bubbles are supposed to start like coming. suds. Suds, and bubbles are supposed to start coming out of her box all around her head. So she does her whole thing, and there, da 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 dun, 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 dun. We turn the bubble machine on, the bubbles start coming out, and we hear the director, Mel Smith, cut! We need more bubbles! <laughs> so 
we run in, Vernon and I are adjusting the bubble machine. We had a second bubble machine, and at this point, she's like, oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> now dance, monkey dance. So she dances across. Actually, we they, they said, okay, we'll just cut to the bubbles. We've already got the other. So she's there, and then she goes, dun, 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 and the bubbles start coming off, and we hear, more bubbles. We need more bubbles. <laughs> And Vernon and I are like looking at each other like, what am I going to do here? So it, it, it was like, it was surreal at some point. The next thing I knew, I'm on my back, on the stage, covered in black duvetine with a jar of bubbles in my hand. And I'm, I'm and Vernon's right next to me doing the same thing. And we're putting the wand into the jar and blowing. <laughs> So we're blowing bubbles up her skirt, and it's supposed to be the machines going and all the detergents just all over our face, and we're just like covered in wet. I'm looking at Vernon, and his face is red, and he's covered in things, and Mel is still screaming, Just uh, m- one you're most proud of. Were your work as a decorator? Um, and feel free to name any of the ones that I designed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you your designer? Uh, Which you can see on John's IMDb page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think the most, the one I enjoyed the most doing and really got into was uh, Lovely Bones. I did the. Oh, um, wow. The, uh, we did a 1973 mall in Philadelphia, in South Philadelphia, and it was an empty mall. And I think I had 22 storefronts in wow. the mall, and we were all through the mall. I had a, you know, I, I had a dress shop, I had a shoe shop, I had a record store, I had a hardware, I had a furniture, I had a toy store. And you were the decorator on this? I did, the, I did that particular. George Satita was the de- decorator. Oh, okay. And I did... My he hired me to do the mall. Yep, and yep. I worked on the mall from August until we shot it in December. Wow! And that was all I did. And we ended up going round the clock because uh, they moved it up in the schedule, and we had dressers. Of course, they did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's only on and, those big jobs that they move it. <laughs> and it was one of those where it was like no sleep. I was sleeping in the mall in a mm-hmm. cot in the back, and mm-hmm. then getting up and just doing it. You know, and there was a. It was great. It was a there was a uh, diner. There was a malt like a milkshake stand. There was like a hot dog place, um, a head shop, a bridal bridal shop. We had a movie theater. Uh, and then it was all had to be uh, Christmas as well. Oh P- period wow! Of Christmas. So 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 you you dress all the shops, then you decorate them for the holidays. Yes. Oh my god! And then it all had to come down. And then that particular was really interesting about that show was that it was uh, uh, executive produced by Spielberg, and um, okay. the uh, he came in and Peter Jackson was the uh, d- uh, director, and Peter wanted to do an homage to um, 
um, Spielberg. It's a Spielberg. So in our bookstore, he said, I would like Spielberg, Stephen, to be over in the corner perusing a copy of Jaws. <laughs> and I remember saying, hmm, Jaws didn't come out until 75. Oh, what was the year of this? 73. Okay. <laughs> and we went to Peter, and we went, Peter, you know, no one would tell him because they were all scared of him. Right. And we... George and I went to him and said, you know, technically, this is not period correct that, you know, and he goes, he looked at us both and he went, hmm, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> and we went, yeah, it's kind of a big problem. And he goes, no one will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> and he shot it anyway. So Spielberg is in the show reading a copy of Jaws. Oh, my gosh. In, in 1973. In 73. <laughs> <laughs> An advanced copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had mentioned um, Surface when you first came in. and uh, Right. Um, that was also the Pate Brothers. The Pate Brothers did yeah. Surface. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think of funny stories from Surface. There was... Oh, I remember one with uh, special effects. Special effects, the, I don't know, the, in the premise of the story, they find this little creature called Nimrod, and the kids got him in his aquarium, and he starts to grow, and he gets bigger and bigger, and he's like, what do I do? And then Nimrod escapes, and he's kind of like crawling through the backyards of neighborhoods, and he ends up in this above-ground pool. And uh, at this point, they've got uh, the animal control is trying to catch him catch nimrod and corral him and take him in right so the the the, the animal control is coming and they're they're in the backyard and the whole gag was is that the guy is he has one of these uh, spears or some snare and he's supposed to be poking the pool and he pokes the pool and every time he pokes a stream of water comes out so was that was that the gag that was the gag okay Poke the pool, stream of water. Poke the pool, stream of water. So it's some, you know, it ends up being like Swiss cheese. Right. So um, we're out in Ogden. We've, of course, I have to do the pool, so I get the above ground pool. It takes a day and a half to fill it full right, of water. Right, right, right. Um, they go out to do uh, the test, and um, let me back up a second. I come in, uh, the uh, effects guy comes into the office, and I said, oh, how did the test go? And he went, um, badly. <laughs> and I went, oh, great. So we all go into the office. <laughs> is, is this Dave Beavis? It's Dave Beavis. <laughs> badly. I wasn't going to say his name. <laughs> so we go in to see the video, and we're all in the office. The Pate brothers are there. He rolls the video, and um, as long as we're naming names, Tim McKenna is dressed up oh. as, the, as the Wrangler. He's got the little hat on, and, you know, Tim weighs about, you know, 90 pounds yeah, soaking yeah. wet. And uh, he, he's going around, rolling, action. He pokes the pool, and the entire thing explodes <laughs> in, into a wave of water. And all of a sudden you hear, oh, oh, oh. And then the camera, you see it go tilt straight up into the air and water wave over it. And then you see Tim McKenna going ass over elbows right past the camera <laughs> in, the, in the water. And, and I turned around and... 
Jonas and Josh Payton and their their mouths are open. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> you see, and the first thing they both say is, he okay? <laughs> and David's like, yeah, he's okay. Um, and, and then they looked at each other and they looked back at him and they said, we love it. Can you do it again? <laughs> uh, and then everybody looks at you. And everyone looked at me and said, we have another pool, right? And I went, no, uh, we do not. So we flew in a pool from Canada. Oh, wow. Set it up all weekend. And they shot it on the Monday morning. on them and came back when i came back those things were upside down in oh, the back of the no. truck no. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that that knot didn't really work did it <laughs> may not not i guess i tied may nots they may, may not hold uh, may not you know. <laughs> uh, and so. you know the the fun thing or interesting thing back in that time um not only didn't have cell phones we didn't even have pagers um, so the protocol was you'd have a roll of quarters and at every single vendor. So you've got 20 pickups to do in the five ton back then. Um, every single vendor, you would ask to borrow the phone and call in. Yeah. Anything right. else? And every step along the way. Yep. And um, in every stop, you had to make a call to check yep. on what's going on. And I, we finally got pagers. I think it was Shag was the first movie that I got, was handed a pager. Mm -hmm. But then you still had to stop and find a payphone. You still got to stop and find a payphone. But they were a lot easier to find back then. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They were. And um, then you'd get, and then you get into the coded messages. You know, nine one one means you know yeah. stop everything, and eight one one means it's kind of an emergency. And then I'm working on the job up in Richmond, Virginia, and um, we'd movie of the week kind of thing, and we're just been at it. You know, weeks and weeks and weeks without a day off. And finally, me and the other lead man, the local guy up there, we finally got an evening, you know, where we could just leave the warehouse. So we found a bar, you know, sit down to get a burger and a beer. And we get a page that says 711. <laughs> and we're like, what does that mean? Now, had they page 911, we would have ignored it. Right, right, right. right. Fuck it, nah. 811, nah. nah. Seven, so we're like, got a. <laughs> You want to know what it is? Uh, it means the company set the sprinkler off. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> big, big old apartment set off the sprinkler with a fancy furniture store below it. Oh, no. And so that's what 711 means. It means the sprinkler went off. <laughs> so I remember a phone call I got. I was, you got, I was with you and we were at, uh, the place is still there. It's uh, in the Cotton Exchange, the bar. Oh, um, Patty's Hollow. Patty's Hollow. And it was the crow. I was leaving to go back to Nashville. You you were dressing the, uh, the shipyard. Right. When it was still there. And uh, you said, come on, I'm going to buy you a beer before you leave. So it was the middle of the day. It was lunch. We went to Patty's Hollow. I think we had one. Then we maybe probably had another. Then you got a phone call from Martha. And Martha was the decorator, and I could hear, I could kind of hear her through the phone. And she's like, John, how is everything going down there? How's everything looking down there? That's what she said. And John said, Everything looks good from here, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll have one more, please. Uh, 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 That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> that was that was the set. It was it was hot as hell. So we would I'd send the crew take a two hour lunch. It was just so blazing hot right. and that's always the way i work my crew so you know take a super long lunch get your core temperature back down and come back to work right. and um that was my mo and we'd ended up i think through the designer um alex mcdowell or something he we added like 200 fishing crates to the set like the day <laughs> you know they're shooting at night and 200 fishing crates came in and um when you say fishing crate, what, whatever, just bu- lobster crates, or? lobster crates, oh, like, you know, like, like, a, like a crab, uh, no, just crab. a wooden crate. Oh, wooden. Okay, uh, wood. I was just you, know, you know what? You know, in set dressing, we have to killer bees. Yeah, boxes, bags, and barrels. Gotcha. Right. And, gotcha. Um, and sometimes burnout. Yeah, those kind of sets have a certain amount of that component. <laughs> yeah, boxes. I'm, I'm with you. Now. The killer bees. You know, I need three, five tons of killer bees. Bring them out. Gotcha. And um, but <laughs> I love that. And I think Hides what we did, and what we did, we went to Corbett and got new ones. You know, where they make the peach crates or whatever is what they were. Right. And the brand new ones brought two hundred of them down to the set. That they shoot that night. Brian Stoltz. Oh. I was going to say. See the artist. I was going to say you had to bring somebody. I got to get this right. What did he say? He's stand. He's standing on top of them. I think we load them down there. He's standing on top of them. He says. 200 crates right before call. 200 crates right before call. I can totally see so, that. So, so that became the new uh, uh, homage for Brian is never too busy to say no. <laughs> oh my God. I gotta find him. Uh, uh, yeah. Brian, Brian Stoltz is in Atlanta. I think yeah. he's been doing the Marvel yeah. gig. <laughs> At least he thinks it's funny. He's, he's the funniest person he knows. <laughs> Top man in his own particular field. That was big on King Kong, the uh, one of the Brits. That's right. Top top man. That Chuck Potter. Top man in his own particular field. Top man. Like Chuck friend Stewart used to say, <laughs> considering what you have to work Mr. Potter, considering what you have to work with, you do all right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there speaking of the devil. Hey, speaking of all that. Sit down. He's got, Chuck's got one more he's going to tell us that he thinks is funny. Come on, jump and in and join us, John. You're gonna, <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> he thinks it's funny. <laughs> he's got a hot mic just swinging around. It was one that, uh, Forces of Nature. And we were in all over the place. We started in Savannah. We went to Beaufort. We went to Washington, D.C. We went to Richmond. We went to Cherokee, North Carolina. It was kind of a road show. Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock, they're on a train trying to get to a wedding in uh, Savannah, and uh, they're having all these problems. The hurricane comes in, blah, 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 blah. So um, 
the um, we ended up in a scene uh, in a town called Silva, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Been there. Been there. And uh, when we got there, we're supposed to be dressing a train car. The, the train is starting in Silva. It's going to head up into the mountains, and they're going to shoot them, and they're in a baggage car. And they're trying to get to this wedding. So we go into Silva. We bring the five-ton. We've got actually probably two five-tons. We're trying to dress out this box car. And when we get into town, the FBI is there, and they've got a, um, a dragnet set up, and they're trying to find Eric Rudolph, oh. who oh had bombed all yes. the abortion clinics in Atlanta. So they're there. This is how far up in the mountains we are. And they're they're in there, and they're running through town, and they're in the woods, and they're trying to find this guy. So we're dressing out this car, this uh, box car. I've got luggage i've got uh, food and crates i've got sunflowers i've got live chickens i've got all this crazy stuff in this box car and we get to the last part of the dress and the designer says you know that that corner is kind of emptied can we put something in that corner you know something interesting in that corner kind of tall and patrick Furman says the set dresser you know what would be cool is a pallet of plastic Santa Clauses. <laughs> and, and it's it's August in the mountains of North Carolina. And I cut the look at him. It's like, I'm going I'm to fucking kill you. And the designer goes, yeah, that would be yeah, great. That's awesome. Because he doesn't have a calendar either. So I said, I, you know, I, I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to get you plastic Santa Clauses. I said, I'll, I'll drive into Waynesville or whatever right. the closest town was to the Walmart, and I'll see if there's some statues in the garden center or something. And uh, so I take off, and I drive the hour and 15 minutes to the closest town, and I walk into Walmart. It's August. I walk into the garden center. It's empty because – the season's over they're moving their garden statues out and they're you know about to move in their christmas trees probably but it's completely empty i'm like fuck so i walk into the walmart i'm walking down i'm kind of looking down aisles i'm going down the edge looking at end caps and just kind of peering down aisles and i get to this aisle and i turn and look and i see a row of cardboard boxes that are about three feet tall three feet tall and as i'm walking down past them i see this little woman and she's kind of bent over an osteoporosis and she's an older lady and she opens a box and reaches in and she pulls out a plastic santa claus nice <laughs> I'm going, no, no, this is not happening. So I walked up to her and I said, excuse me, ma'am. She goes, hi. And I said, are all of these plastic Santa Clauses? And she goes, they sure are. And I said, well, leave them in the boxes because I'll take all of them. And she's like, what? <laughs> so I buy all the plastic Santa Clauses. I've strapped them to my minivan. Oh They're my. piled in. I'm like Sanford the Sun coming back to the set. And I get back to the set, and I hand Patrick Furman the keys, and I said, 
unload the van. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And the plastic Santa Clauses made the movie. They were right behind them. <laughs> oh, the, no. The big shot Thank in the God. movie. Thank God. Thank God. Just for your own sanity. For about five years after that, every Christmas, UPS would knock on my door and there'd be a plastic Santa Claus in a box. He sent me a plastic Santa Claus for Christmas for about five years after that. Chuck, thank you very much for doing rap beer. What a delight. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I cannot believe you found that many Santa Clauses. <laughs> that, that's, that, you know, that's the best part about set dressing and stuff are those kind of miracles that happen. And um, and as, as cool and special as it is, it's it, it's actually very common. I mean, and th- that's our existence. I was going to say, it doesn't even surprise you. No. Right? No, no. <laughs> you know, and, and I'll say this very quickly. Um, you know, in the art department. Right. Um, the designer designs it, the draftsman drafts it, um, the construction built it. And they'll use wood, nails, glue, whatever. Scenics paint it. And they have their, you know, shelves full of goo and, and voodoo mixes and stuff right. to do things. But they're fairly limited quantities. And then next is set dressing. And guess what? It's an infinite variety of things we have to bring to the table. <laughs> One evening we're doing a gas station and it's crack of dawn the next morning we're dressing a 16 year old girl's bedroom <laughs> and all that shit's got to fit on the truck oh my god that's so true right? that's so, so true so that said dressing chuck potter definitely epitomizes on um, the romance and uh, serendipity of yeah. uh, of said yeah. dressing and and faith and, and faith <laughs> knowing it's going to be there you damn straight and guess what you do not come back empty-handed no, no matter what <laughs> No matter what, you don't come back in the end. So, more bubbles, Mr. Potter. Oh, my God. What a well wonderful, done. wonderful interview. And that's a wrap to Act 1 of Rap Beer. Six episodes, Johnny. Six episodes. And who'd have thunk it? I know. And um, coming up next, guess what? Oh, no. The doctor is in again. <gasps> more doctor stories? Tom Jones had more to tell that we could fit in in one episode. Oh. And he came back with more weird tales to tell. Oh, I can't wait. So episode seven, the doctor is in again. We got a lot of neat folks on deck for act two. We're going to dive deep into this rich and weird history of the Wilmington film community. So that's Rap Beer, everybody. And don't forget, rapbeer.com. I'm Scott Davis with my co-host, John Kretschmer. And remember, be kind. Davis and John D. Kretschmer. The theme music's provided by Turbo Pro Project. This one-of-a-kind podcast is recorded at the historic screening room at Cinespace Studios in Wilmington, North Carolina. Copyright Bluffco Industry 2024.